Thank you for listening in today to our Friday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we'll continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. So let's go to 1 Samuel 28. We're going to be going over chapter 28 and 29. When we left off here, um, David pretty much saw that that Saul was going to continue to come after him. If you knew a Bible, raise your hand. We definitely want to get a Bible in your hand. And so David took the easy way out. He took the pressure off of himself. I know what I'll do. I'll go into the land of the Philistines. Saul won't follow me into there. And so we had mentioned the last time that a lot of times that's kind of the way it is. Uh, we want to take the pressure off. And so we, we, we try to kind of acquiesce of kind of going the, the pass of, of least resistance because this one that I'm on right now is too difficult. And yet God has been showing himself faithful time and time again. Whenever Saul came out after David, David would become aware of it. God would do amazing things. Um, stopped him there in Ramah when he sent uh, one troop after another to get David. And, and they fell down and prophesied instead. And, and then Saul goes and he falls down, strips down naked and, and, and prophesies. And, and so David was able to see that. Um, they're out hiding by En Gedi, and all of a sudden Saul's army comes there. He sees him in a cave there and cuts off the corner of his robe as we went through and then yells and said, hey, look what I could have done, but I didn't after all. And, and uh, you know, you are still the Lord's anointed. And, 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 and Saul, you know, pretty much um, admits his sin, and I'm not going to come after you again. And then, of course, he comes after him again. And so uh, David goes into the camp and, and, and gets his spear and water jug and then again calls from the other side of the wadi there valley and, and says again, look, I was right there next to you. I could have killed you, but I did not because you're the Lord's anointed. Please show me my sin and I will repent to you right now. And instead it's Saul that, that repents and says, I have done evil. I am the one that's at fault here. And David, you are innocent and you are surely going to be the next king of Israel. And so... God has already shown David several times that he's going to take care of David. And yet, David still flees to the land of the Philistines. And uh, this is not where he is supposed to be. Nowhere during this time do we see him seeking the Lord. That's a huge, that's, that's huge to me of, of what's going on here. Uh, it's interesting in chapter 30, we are going to see him seek the Lord again. And it's, and it's going to be because of certain events that are taking place. So, here we are in chapter... 28, he has been with the Philistines for 14 months, okay? He has been going on raids in the southern part of Judah, um, and, and so King Achish there of Gath is actually thinking that David is raiding Israel itself and, and, and the people of Israel. But instead, he's been going out and uh, killing the Amalekites and, and, and other groups of people and killing all of them so they will not report back uh, to the Philistines of who they were and, and things like that. And so King Ashash actually thinks that David is, is, is killing his own people, but he is not. I had somebody come up to me and said, so it really wasn't sin because these people were uh, people groups that um, they were supposed to get rid of anyway. And I agree with that. That's, that's true. Um, but I would say this, David could have stayed in the land there in southern Judah and done the same thing. He still shouldn't be in uh, Gath or I should say Ziklag. He shouldn't be in, um, in the land of the Philistines, and he definitely shouldn't be doing what he's about to do here, as we, as we will see. So 
Starting here in chapter 28, verse 1, it says this. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you surely know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And so David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I'll make you one of my chief guardians forever. And so he sees, uh, King Achish sees this as an opportunity that once David fights for him and, and the army of the Philistines, that he will now be in his household forever. We will always have David and, uh, and his reputation, what a fierce warrior is, and now he's on our team, kind of a deal. Um, we're going to hold off right there uh, of what's going on there because that really attaches to chapter 29, as we shall see. So I'll hold my comments for that and, until we get there. Verse 3 of chapter 28 says, Now Samuel had died. All Israel had lamented for him, buried him in Ramah, in his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Now, no doubt Samuel's mention here is to remind us of the, um, the spiritual influence, or I should say lack of spiritual influence, the kingdom of Saul has. Um, Samuel is gone. Uh, you might recall that Saul killed like 80 of the priests at the, at the area of Nob, on the hill of Nob. And so, um, so he, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of spiritual input, even though he's going to try and seek the Lord's counsel when he sees the Philistines come, and, and he's going to try and find out either through visions or dreams or consult a prophet, but God isn't speaking to him. God isn't speaking to him at all. And so it then gives us commentary that Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land, and so we have to give him credit for that. At least he got rid of the pagan spiritual influence, but he also got rid of the godly spiritual influences. And so the reason that's brought up is because he now is going to try that way. Well, if I can't get to God this way, I'll try and get to God through very pagan ways. So the word spiritist there out of the land, your Bible might say wizards or whatever, is the term that is familiar spirits. What that means is that this would be a person that has a familiar spirit, would have its own personal spirit, own personal demon in which they would consult who would then channel them information or just channel altogether, okay? And so this is where channeling would come, come from. As you know, the New Agers do a lot of channeling and uh, people from, you know, that lived centuries ago and they'll speak to you and things like that. It's nothing more than demons, is what it is, and it's been going on for a long, long time, a long time. And so that's what it is to have a familiar spirit. It's a spirit that's familiar to you. It's your own personal demon, (laughs) is what that comes down to. And so in verse 4, it says, And the Philistines gathered together, came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by the Urim or by uh, the prophets. And so uh, quite often, um, you know, God can speak through dreams, through Urim, uh, which has to do with the uh, priestly uh, uh, breastplate and, uh, and by prophets. And so, and again, because he killed most of the prophets, he just doesn't have a whole lot of spiritual input. And so God's not speaking to him at all in any manner that he's trying. And so it's, um, it's interesting how he even wants to pursue the prophets after having killed so many of them. And so Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium in 
at Endor. So for one, this is amazing to me. He got rid of all the mediums and spiritists in the land, but it seems to me that some people close to him seem to know where this woman is. And so it makes me kind of wonder, hmm, I wonder if these people have been going to her. You know, just people in his own camp. Just a thought. Uh, I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, God tells Moses and his people this. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall, be, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer. A soothsayer is just somebody who gives you soothing words and basically tells you what you want to hear, is what a soothsayer is. Or one who interprets omens, okay, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or witch, or witchcraft, or a medium, okay, or a spiritist, familiar spirits, or one who calls upon the dead, which is a necromancer, is what that is. And so we are not to um, consult any of those. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. Okay. So these aren't things that we're supposed to participate in. Now, there's a, there's a great debate out there of why would you tell somebody not to do something unless they really could, you know? Nowhere does God say, uh, you know, I don't want you to go to the sun. I mean, there are certain things he could say, I don't want you to do this, but then there's almost an impossibility to it. Well, there's really not an impossibility today because, you know, what we can do with launching a spacecraft or, or scrap, spacecraft or something, but... If he tells you, look, I don't want you uh, to lift the Empire State Building, you know, why would he tell you that? You can't, okay? So the thought is, is that if he tells you not to do something, it's because you can. So don't participate by being a necromancer. Does that mean you can speak to the dead? It means that you can do something that isn't going to benefit you. Uh, You're you're not supposed to speak to these spiritists or these mediums. Uh, You shouldn't... Is it all demons behind that? I believe so, no question about it. But there's some information there that they're privy to that can give you a short-term benefit or nobody would do it. It's like sin. Nobody would do sin if it wasn't fun and if there wasn't some sort of benefit to you. There is. It's very short-term, but at the same time, it will always take more than what it will ever give to you. So... Can you contact the dead? God says not to. So I'm thinking myself personally, if you cannot contact the dead, you will be fooled into thinking that you've contacted the dead. And who are you being fooled by? Satan, demons, the underworld, a dark, dark place. It's just not something you're supposed to do. Why? Because you can tap into that dark world. That's why. You can. And so he tells you not to do that. And there's a reason for it, because you can. So, he tells us not to do that. In Leviticus chapter 19, just go to the left there a little bit. We're also told this. It says in verse 26, it says, You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. Go down to verse 31. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them. To be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. 
it's said time and time again. In Exodus chapter 22, it says if you, if you find someone participating in that, you're supposed to kill them, remove them. And so God is very, very serious about this. And so understand, this is how far Saul has fallen. I can't hear by, from God. But he's trying to hear something. He knows God is real. But now he'll even do something that he knows that God completely forbids. But this has always been Saul's M.O., He's been a very, very disobedient, rebellious person. And so in verse 8, it says, So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me. Bring up for me the one I shall name to you. So um, there's uh, when Saul goes down to Gilboa, Mount Gilboa from Gabea, that's about 50 miles away, uh, when he's on one side of the valley where the um, Philistines on the other side of the valley, we're talking about seven miles between Mount Gilboa where he is uh, camped out and where Endor is. But the interesting thing about where Endor is, it's only about two miles from Suchem where the Philistines are camped out for battle. So changing his clothes could have two reasons. For one, he doesn't want to bring any attention to himself where spies of the Philistines will hear, hey, he's only about two miles away. The other one is, is that he obviously doesn't want to bring attention to himself to the witch at Endor. Okay, So he goes over here, and so he changes his clothes. He says, please conduct a seance for me. Bring up the one I shall name to you. And then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Because I could do this for you, and then you could rat me out later on, and they're going to kill me. And Saul swore to her by the Lord. Wow. For one, how is a spiritist going to care that you swear by your God? Because they obviously don't believe in your God, or they wouldn't be a spiritist. They wouldn't be a medium. And so first, he, he swears by his God, and, and he tells her this. He says, look, you know what Saul said. So Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, how could he say that unless he's a person of authority? He's kind of given away who he is right there. So then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. That should have been a red flag for her. Who else is going to want to consult Samuel than, than the king? And so the question is here about this woman, also uh, a lot of people call her the witch of Endor because she was obviously a witch as well. Um, Does this woman really possess the power to commune with the spirits of the dead? Has she deluded herself into believing that she has such power or was she simply a con artist? And so there's an endless debate about this or does she really believe that she is contacting the person she thinks she's contacting? which we know is really a demon. The spirit of Samuel, though, I will say this, actually does appear. There's a lot of people say, no, it was an imposter. It really wasn't a Samuel. Yeah, it was. And it makes it very clear. Nowhere when we read this is there anything to make us to suggest that it was not Samuel. That's my first line of defense in this. It was Samuel. And if it wasn't Samuel, there would have been some comment. There would be some verse that, that would allude to that. It doesn't. And so, if you ask me, this is definitely Samuel. It was definitely the view of all the rabbis, and especially the ancient rabbis that taught this text, 
We know that the early church fathers like Justin Martyr, Origen, Augustine believed this as well. But there were a few that didn't. Tertullian and Jerome maintained that the appearance of Samuel was some diabolical hoax or delusion. However, when you read the context here, and when you read this, there's no way you could come to that conclusion. There's just no way. And so, this witch could not have impersonated Samuel. She was very surprised that Samuel was there. Probably was surprised because her familiar spirit isn't the one that brought him to her. So, she, was, she couldn't have impersonated Samuel. Uh, she didn't know uh, that it was Saul at this time. Um, and so, it's very interesting to me when we look at this from, here, from this point on, this witch becomes a spectator at this point. Samuel kind of takes over. It's a Saul and Samuel show. The witch is merely a spectator at this point. And, and we see this here in verse 12 when all of a sudden it says, And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Because I believe who she was really looking for was that familiar spirit first. Okay. Because if she conjures up other people and then that person would show up, she was told to conjure up Samuel. Well, there's Samuel. Why, why are you so surprised? Because she usually probably first gets a familiar spirit. And that personalized demon is the one that will take over her and she would channel that person to whoever it is is paying for her services. But there is no channeling going on here. There is no Samuel coming into her and her speaking for Samuel. She actually sees Samuel and she freaks out. And so she cries out with a loud voice and the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me for you are Saul? Okay. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. This is interesting because I've often said that Sheol is somewhere in the center of the earth, personally. People want to say there's different dimensions and things like that, but the Bible speaks about you ascend to heaven. That means go up. But when it comes to going down into Sheol, into the grave, that speaks of a direction, and it's down. It's down. It's in there somewhere, and it's ascending out of the earth. And Saul isn't going to be um, fooled into this. He has a specific question he's going to ask to make sure this is Samuel. That's great. You freaked out. Big deal. You figured out I was Saul. I'm surprised it took that long. I'm, he's not convinced yet. I, I personally believe he's not convinced yet. And it says, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. Now, this is interesting because the word spirit here is Elohim. And it speaks of the word gods. But it also is a word that's used for judges. Now, why would God use his name for judges? Because it is the plural form of a singular God, Elohim. Why would he use that when it comes to the magistrates, when it comes to the judges of Israel? Because the judges are supposed to judge with the righteousness of God. They are in place of God on this earth, and they are supposed to judge exactly as if God himself was present there in that courtroom. And so God calls them Elohim, judges, magistrates, is because they're supposed to implement my justice, my judgment, my righteousness. 
And Samuel was the last of the judges. And so he is an Elohim. He's a judge. And so when it says the spirit ascending out of the earth, she's saying, I saw a judge ascending out of the earth, is what she's saying there. In Exodus 21, verse 6, it says, Then his master shall bring him to the judges, Elohim. Same word. Same word. In Exodus 22, 8, it says, If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges, Elohim. Same word. And so this is what she sees. And so Saul, notice, doesn't see Samuel. He doesn't see him at all. And so he asks of her, he says, okay, I have another question for you. What, what is his form? Here's another question. He just wants to make sure this is Samuel. What is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he's covered with a mantle. Now, I find this very interesting. He's an old man. Don't we sometimes think when we're, you know, as soon as we die, or, or, what do we look like and things like that? I just find that very interesting. I'm not 100% sure I believe that once you uh, die, absent body, present with the Lord, you have a, a supernatural body. But I'm kind of wondering, until the resurrection of your body, if you somehow kind of look the way you did when you died, but in kind of like Superman form, okay? You don't have the aches and pains anymore or whatever, you know. But you're going to be recognizable and everything else. And so here's... Samuel dies at an old age, and he comes back in that old form. Or it could just be so he'd be recognizable. Maybe that's it, and that's a possibility as well. But it says here, and he is covered with a mantle. And at that point, Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and it stooped his face to the ground and bowed down. And what seems to have convinced Saul was the description of Saul. He says he's wearing a mantle. The word mantle there is a Hebrew word, ma'il. And it means a robe. And I believe it's supposed to remind Saul of something that happened in 1 Samuel 15. When Saul was supposed to kill the Amalekites. He wasn't supposed to leave anyone alive and yet he brings back the king. And so he wasn't supposed to bring back any of their oxen or sheep. He was supposed to slaughter all the animals as well. And yet he brings back the best of those things. And so Samuel approaches Saul and tells him you have not obeyed the word of the Lord. You have sinned. And so, Sam, uh, so Saul looks at him and said, okay, I, I've sinned, I understand that, but still, please honor me in front of the people. And so Samuel turns away from him, and as he turns away, Saul grabs his robe, his mantle, and he tears it. And so Saul tells him, he tells him, he says, this day, just like what happened back then, he, he tells me, he says, just like you've torn my robe, the kingdom has now been torn from you and will be given to another. And my thought is, is I wonder if he shows up in that robe that's torn in order for Samuel, or I should say Saul, to understand what is going on right now. What happened back then in chapter 15 is happening right now. You summon me up, I'm wearing the same robe that was torn, that you tore, that suggests to you that the kingdom is being torn from you and given to another. And why are you before me right now? Because the Philistines are coming and they're encamped guess what? What was prophesied in chapter 15 is happening right now with the Philistines. So just amazing that the last time that Saul saw Samuel, he was in that robe that he tore and it was a prophecy of the kingdom being taken away from him. And yet that's what's happening to him right now. 
That wraps up this Friday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us again on Monday as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. God.